Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's that time of the week when we talk about politics in America. We've got two of the very best, smartest um, experts on what's going on in American politics joining us. One of them is our friend Mike Tomaski, who's the editor of The New Republic, um, with uh, whom many of you know we are about to embark on a podcast uh, strategic partnership with and launch a New Republic partnership pod and I don't know, a couple of weeks. Um, how you doing, Mike? Hey, I'm pretty good. Yeah, a couple of weeks. We're very excited about this over at TNR. I'm grateful to you. Yeah, start, uh, st- uh, featuring as the host, the great Greg Sargent, recently of the Washington Post. So that was a big coup on your part, I think. Yeah, recently of the Washington Post, but now of the New Republic as of, as of Monday. Uh, yeah, yeah, and producing great stuff already, already. for anybody who's a Greg Sargent addict. There's no change except the address. Right. Um, so we are we are we are great to see it. We are also joined by a friend, David Korn of Mother Jones. He's the Washington correspondent there. How are you doing, David? Okay, I'm sorry I'm not part of the strategic partnership. Feel well, we can have one with. We'll have one with Mother Jones if you but like. But we, but Mother Jones, if people are paying attention, has just merged with, which is beyond strategic partnering, with Reveal. The center for of uh, the center for investigative reporting. So we will have tremendous radio documentary documentaries and other products coming down the pike. So we're very excited. So I'm glad to see all these progressive media outlets expanding and taking on new horizons. While we see our friends and colleagues in more conventional media uh, places struggling with layoffs and cutbacks. Um, in a very depressing time for some of the big media outlets. Well, you know, we had a strategy for that here at uh, at uh, DSR, um, which is we never hired the people in the first place. <laughs> so, you know, you can't lay off people yeah. if you're really small. <laughs> That's um, to do it. 
Yeah, no, that's the way to do it. But we are also, uh, you know, we're we're very big. I mean, this is not accidental. We are very big in working with a lot of other progressive new media organizations, uh, whether they produce podcasts or whether they produce um, information sites or whether they they produce uh, new media uh, or, or events. Um, and we're trying to work together with them and coordinate with them because we think the stakes this year are really high. You know, one of the ways you could get the impression that the stakes this year were really high is if you read David Korn's latest piece, um, you know, which uh, talks a little bit about what we might expect if we get Trump too. Of course, we, we get we, we get insights into that every day because he says something crazy today in his trial in New York. Uh, moments before we went on the air and recorded this thing, Trump made a statement, even though he was not allowed to, spoke for six minutes at the trial, ranted on and on that the trial was a fraud on him and that he's the one who should be getting paid damages, and that it was all part of a witch hunt. Um, and he's campaigning through trials, which is something we've never seen. And I'd like to circle back to that in a little bit, um, uh, Mike. And but let's let's just let's let's start with uh, David's nightmare scenario. Can you, in uh, you know, a couple of minutes, talk about what you concluded, David? Well, I was trying to think about what we know already and what we can, can expect as obvious if Trump gets back in. He has said, "I will be retribution." He's always been obsessed with revenge. I've written about this millions of times. And he has talked about using the Justice Department to go after his enemies. Of course, he talked about executing um, the top U.S. military commander a few months ago. Um, so he's given us a little bit of a preview himself of how he wants to weaponize the government against his foes. Meantime, we also know about this thing called Project 2025, the Heritage Foundation and other right-wing groups are openly uh, putting together, which is about how they can basically seed the entire federal bureaucracy with thousands and thousands of employees who will basically pledge loyalty to Donald Trump. In fact, they will have to fill out a questionnaire doing so to get jobs, not just the usual political appointee jobs, but even deeper into the bureaucracy. And so I sort of think, well, beyond all that, and beyond the idea that he could take the SEAL Team 6 or maybe five or eight or nine and assassinate someone and not be liable for criminal prosecution unless he's convicted by the Senate in an impeachment proceeding. All these things that are out there. What else? How else might we, we, we see uh, Trump to manifested? And if you think about what he wants to do with the federal, federal bureaucracy, we could see a real atmosphere of fear throughout the federal government with anybody who works for any federal agency, if they say something that is derogatory about Trump, they could face firing. So this is going to add, you know, lead to, I guess, witch hunts, maybe tip lines, snitch lines. And you can see a lot of people leaving the government. They don't, they don't want to be a part of that, but also not doing their job the way it should be because it might offend a higher up who's a Trump appointee. So you can look at you know, the SEC, the EPA, the National Institute of Health, everybody there operating from a position of fear and not doing what they think needs to be done. Imagine the Justice Department looking at somebody who is a donor to Trump or looking at illegal lobbying from a country that's in a deal with the Trump organization. If they know they can be fired at will, which they can't now, 
but this is one of the changes Trump wants to implement. Well, these things won't happen, and they will leave the government and so on and so forth. And we only have to look back to someone like Richard Nixon, who did use the IRS against his foes. In fact, it was one of the articles of impeachment in the House bill that he had tried to use the IRS to do this. His allies also tried to pull licenses, uh, media licenses, broadcast licenses from the Washington Post because of the Watergate coverage. So you can keep sort of mulling this over. Even Jack Smith, when he was arguing against um, Trump's claim of almost absolute presidential immunity, came up with all these scenarios. Imagine a president who orders the FBI director to plant evidence of a crime on a political foe, or orders the National Guard to kill someone, or sell secrets, nuclear weapons secrets, to a foe. And, you know, it's not necessary that Trump will do all these things, but he will create this, this government in which he is, or believes he is, above the law, and he will be asking other people to do things that probably are illegal under various laws. But the thing is, he will also, I assume, if we get to this place, use the power of the presidential pardon. So if he orders some employee not to enforce, I don't know, environmental regulation or to plant illegal evidence or something like that, those things may be violations of the criminal of criminal law, and that's one reason why a, a, a federal bureaucrat wouldn't want to do it. Uh, but he can then say, "I will pardon you if you do this," as he did with all his cronies at the end of his first term: Manafort, Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, Steve Bannon. So there'll be this rampant potential for criminal activity across the government. Um, and as I said earlier, this atmosphere of fear, and I'm not even talking about him ordering the CIA or the Defense Department to do something crazy like bomb Mexico. This is just, I think, going to be the baseline of culture, of autocracy uh, and, and demagoguery that he wants to implement. And it will lead, I assume, I hope, <laughs> to numerous constitutional crises and at the end of my piece, and I'll finish here because I know I've, I've been long-winded, um, I, I conclude that ultimately our imaginations are not sufficient to foresee all the conceivable anti-democratic horrors that could come. Because as we've seen over the last eight years, with Trump, the bottom has no bottom. And we are constantly amazed at how the standards and the guardrails that we assumed existed just fade, dissipate in front of him. So even though there's been a little bit of a to-do about his lawyers claiming he could get away with killing somebody if he wasn't impeached, it still isn't the sort of front-page news it didn't dominate the Republican debate last night the way we would have guessed it might have been a few years ago. Yeah, no, no, there's no question about that. By the way, you know, some of these statements you make are wildly over the top. Trump never in his first term suggested we bomb Mexico. He said we should fire missiles at Mexico and we should shoot at Mexicans. Um, but I don't I don't recall any plans for for bombing. Um, Mike, do you think that, the, the you know, what David is saying here, the rantings of a left wing maniac or um, or is he understating this problem? <laughs> 
Oh, I've listened to David rant for many, many years, decades, and uh, and I, I think well, there's a special pleasure, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, it's yeah. no, of course, I agree with with all of that, and um, uh, there's more still. Um, what happened? Uh, I don't know if we're supposed to say today because you know you're you're taping this and well, you shouldn't, but right. people know what, that, what that you know that might not be today, but <laughs> we're taping this yeah. on. Thursday, right. so what people news can we, figure what, that what out. What news did we wake up to on the morning of Thursday, January 11th, among other things? News that uh, uh, Judge Engeron's uh, home had uh, received a bomb scare, right? And uh, he's the he's the judge in the, in the proceeding that's, that's going on uh, right now. And um, uh, that made me think, just seeing that made me think about societies in history, where you have had violent uh, wings of various political parties or various political tendencies that have used violence to try to influence, delay, thwart, obstruct political outcomes. Um, uh, there's one society in particular where we all know that happened a lot, but it's but it's it's happened all over the world throughout history, in many many cases. Uh, is it crazy to think that the MAGA movement uh, could develop into, and it already did on January 6, 2021, but is it crazy to think that on something more than an ad hoc basis, it could develop into some kind of armed you know, militia uh, that, uh, that attempts to do things like this to, uh, to influence our politics and, and to intimidate political foes? I don't think it's crazy to think that at all. Um, you know, if, if a judge uh, presiding over a trial gets a bomb threat at his home, uh, then a lot of other things like that, I think, can happen as well. So so there's there's Trump and all the things David talked about and all the things Trump might do inside the Beltway. Then there's the nation outside the Beltway and Trump's supporters and the MAGA army and what it might be capable of. So that's one point that I would add to what we might be in store for <coughs> excuse me, if he returns to the White House. The second point I'd add, David was inside the Beltway, so now I'm outside the Beltway, and now I'll go outside the United States, Trump and the world. Uh, that's a whole other set of things for us to worry about and, and to worry about a lot. Will he take the United States out of NATO? I, that seems like that's practically guaranteed that he would do that. Uh, he says he'll uh, end the war in Ukraine in a day. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's one thing about about which he might actually be telling the truth. He might end it in a day by giving Vladimir Putin essentially what he wants and, and selling Ukraine down the river and uh, and busting up this coalition that Joe Biden has so admirably put together to try to defend uh, sovereignty and democracy in Europe uh, under attack. From Russia, uh, like no attack since uh, um, World War II. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, uh, what about the Middle East? Uh, Gaza is in rubble. What do we think? Uh, what kind of check is uh, President Trump going to hand Bibi Netanyahu? A blank one to do whatever he wants uh, with impunity uh, in Gaza, in, in the West Bank, what have you. Uh, so that's another example. Uh, more broadly, we'll see Trump aligned with all the strong men of the world. I'll see, see um, uh, the new guy in Argentina. 
uh, <clears throat> all the rest of them, uh, in an anti-democracy uh, coalition of authoritarians. Uh, and that's where the United States is going to be. Um, uh, you know, the United States is... Uh, uh, by no means always lived up to its stated principles, but at least it had those principles. At least it stated them. Uh, now they'll just be completely abandoned. Well, let me let me look at a couple of things that are from the news this week that um, uh, both of you have touched upon one way or another that factor into what a Trump second term might look like, um, both of which, by the way, are covered in some detail in the New Republic on, on its website at the moment. Um, because at one, there's one place that Mike, we've got a story. Trump admits he was doing for doing services for foreign governments who paid him. Um, when I saw this, I immediately tweeted out, you know, being Trump's lawyer has got to be the worst job in the world because <laughs> he seems to have this sort of, you know, pathological impulse to, to admit to crimes. You know, whenever, whenever he, you know, he, he's given the opportunity and last night in his, softball conversation with uh, Fox News, um, you know, he said, yeah, sure, I took, we took millions of dollars from foreign governments at our hotel. And what's more, you know, we, we really give them service. It's worth it to them to pay that money. Uh, and, and you're just like, roll your eyes. But clearly, if he gets into a second term uh, and gets away with the corruption, and you know we haven't even talked about Jared and Ivanka and the money they got and so forth. Um, it, it seems like one of the things we could be heading into, David, is you know the most openly corrupt U.S. administration in history. Is that an overstatement? Um, you know, you go back to Harding or wherever. I, I it, it it probably isn't. Um, I mean, you, you, if you have the $2 billion commitment the Saudis have made to Jared, uh, Kushner, which would still hover over this, uh, if, if Trump comes back in, I do expect that in terms of government contracts, investigations, SEC, who the SEC looks at or doesn't look at, you'll have, you know, Trump or his minions writing heard on that much more than they were able to do in the first um, administration, uh, first Trump tenure. So, um, and you know, he's, you know, he, he's, he's already, you know, now in a deal with Oman that involves Saudi Arabia and I think some Chinese developers as well. And that won't go away. He's not going to pull out of that. Should he win the election next November? Uh, I assume that will just be a, a, a launching pad for other deals of that sort. So uh, it will be, oh, I don't know, like open season on anybody who wants to talk about government ethics, good government, transparency, accountability, because, um, you know, ultimately he doesn't care. And he wants to, you know, he wants to build an administration and, and not just him. This is the thing. It's the whole infrastructure of the right now. I mentioned the Heritage Foundation earlier. They want to build an administration for Trump, in which there will be no accountability and it will be a strongman rule. They hope that the strongman, you know, gives them the policies they want, tax cuts for the rich, the end of environmental regulations, the end of climate change action, and all the like. But they are now figuring out, okay, we didn't get it the first time around, but Steve Bannon, 
Heritage and all these other folks out there now, including, um, you know, what's his name? Um, oh, shoot. The, the Justice Department official who had been indicted in, in Georgia, uh, Jeffrey Clark, um, who tried to overturn the elections from inside the Justice Department. They are now kind of saying, okay, we get, if we get a second bite at the apple, we're going to do it right. And that will include, you know, prosecuting enemies, loyalty oaths, uh, and allowing corruption to freely flow and letting people like Bannon inside the government, outside the government, do whatever they want because they will be the promise of pardons if they violate federal law. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think you can exaggerate or go too far and imagine in the writer's room, if we had a writer's room together, but what happens in the, in Trump too, I would not tell anyone that's just not believable. Yeah. Well, no, it's, you're absolutely right. We, you didn't mention the Saudi Gulf deal, you, oh, know, yes. you, you know, which is a, you know, it's a big deal that he gets paid a lot. You didn't mention Leonard Leo and the fact the, the the corruption in the United States Supreme court right now, um, which is just outrageous. Um, you know, Mike, I'm a stickler. I'm a, you know, sometime historian. And so, you know, I get a little moist in, around my tear ducts when I think about the emoluments clauses in the Constitution, because some at some point, I you know, I don't know when in the Trump administration, people just decided they didn't matter. You know, nobody was ever going to here. It says specifically the president can't take money internationally or domestically from you know other than his job for the for the for the white House. and he and he, you know he does it and nobody not this justice department no attorney general out there nobody seems to want to challenge him on this so it seems to me you know david's got it right it's going to be an absolute free for all um and it has an effect because you know if the russians channel money through the nra as they did or leonard leo decides to pick people to get outcomes not by the way just you know, regarding abortion, they've been very, very canny in getting outcomes that pair away regulations, enable corporations to make bigger profits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it seems to me this could have a really, it, it won't just be gross, although it'll be gross. It'll also have a, a, a major effect on, on, on the direction the country takes. That's one of the ways that democracy will, is threatened. And it's one of the ways that that democracy will be destroyed. It'll be chipped away at piece by piece, uh, bit by bit, until suddenly there's nothing but sand in our hands just falling through our fingers, and, we, and we, there's nothing we can hold anymore. And, you know, we'll, that day will come upon us, as I say, bit by bit and slowly, but, but it will arrive. You know, when that story broke about the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee releasing their report recently, about the $7.8 million worth of business that Trump, Trump organizations did with foreign governments in two, two, only two years in office. Uh, you know, my first reaction, my reaction wasn't even outrage anymore. And, that, and that's like another problem. You know, we're losing our capacity for outrage. I was outraged, sure. But, but my main reaction was just to shake my head in, in, in profound sadness at the fact that you know, some number of years ago, whether you want to put that at 10 or 30, but some number of years ago, that story would have been pretty much automatic political death to whoever it was about. 
whether Democratic or Republican, you know, there would have been those who there there would have been some sycophants who who tried to defend it, but but basically the consensus in Washington, I believe, maybe I'm being naive here, maybe David disagrees, but I think that the consensus would have been at some point in our past that this is obviously unacceptable and, and that whoever did the person who did this in no way is fit to hold a public trust anymore. But obviously those days are long, long gone and Trump and, and this, this ties in the, the right wing media, Trump and his enablers like Bannon and then, you know, Fox and One America and, and, and Newsmax and, and this whole cavalcade of, you know, Ben Shapiro's and people like that uh, have created this, this, this atmosphere where it's, it's just not, these things aren't even issues. That, that, that you're naive and, and, and silly and, and obviously a, a liberal stooge if, if you even care about these things. And, um, well, can I jump in for a second, David? Because it, it makes me, you know, having like you, Mike, having being old and decrepit and having covered politics for so many years, unlike the youthful and sprightful David Rothkopf, uh, we, we, we can remember the day not that long ago when if a president, a former president and a current presidential candidate who has a good shot at returning the White House if he in a court presented the argument saying that you can kill somebody and get away with it as president, if you're not impeached, that every person in his party, every Republican in this instance, would be forced to address this. Do you believe this? What do you think about this? You know, do you accept this as from the leader of your party? Are you are outraged? Everybody would have to answer that question. Reporters all throughout the Congress would be chasing after senators and people would be calling um, governors on the phone. It would just be de rigueur. And we see what happened in this latest instance. You know, Trump says this and people don't even bother to ask Mitch McConnell or Mike Johnson anymore to respond to this sort of stuff because they know they will just sit there you know, with a stupid grin on their face, you know, and, and say nothing or turn away or walk away or just shrug their shoulders. And that has become acceptable. So last night, and I don't mean to bash Dana Bash or Jake Tapper, but I thought that should have been the first question to Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley at the opening debate. They eventually got to it an hour and 45 minutes in when Jake referred to this and then asked Ron DeSantis, do you think Trump has the moral character to be president? He didn't ask him specifically about this legal argument. Um, and of course, DeSantis punted and would not pronounce moral judgment upon Trump or not. But so we've gotten to the point that, you know, I mean, in 2016, Trump could say, I can shoot anybody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. And we all kind of thought, well, that's kind of dicey. Not sure he's going to get away with that type of rhetoric. And now it's like. Now it's a legal huh? argument. <laughs> yeah, now it's a legal argument. It's just another day. Yeah. And so, you know, conservatives used to always argue or fret about defining deviancy downward and, you know, becoming too tolerant 
of indecency or what should not be tolerated. But man, they've done a better job of that than any woke liberal could ever do. What do you think, Mike? And do the woke liberals have any responsibility for this? I mean, the accepting it, you know, I, I would just think that we would be sitting here, that people would be ranting. This is a president who led an insurrection, was impeached twice, has been found by court to be guilty of fraud, has been found by another to be a rapist. Um, uh, we've just talked about the serial violations of the emoluments clause, which he's admitted to. Um uh, you know, not to say nothing of the, the 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 moral turpitude of the guy. And any of those things, one tenth of any of those things. And oh, and I didn't mention, by the way, stealing national secrets about nuclear weapons. And you know, any 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 of those things would have produced you know instant disqualification. And yet, there's a lot of people who are in the mainstream media who are like, yeah, well, that's just Trump. Well, I mean, it's a good example your mention of the of the uh, Mar-a-Lago classified documents because, because, like, you forgot it. It's an afterthought. How could that be an afterthought? <laughs> you know, that's 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 treason. How could that be an afterthought? And yet it is. But it goes to show a point about how how these things work, right? I mean, if you're going to be a bad guy, be a really bad guy, and just overwhelm people with your badness and your corruption. And, and then they just don't even know where to turn. They, do, they don't even know how to start and, and admit. And then the other part of that, of course, is admit absolutely nothing. You know, deny all the things, all 25, 35, however many women, deny every one of them, call them all liars. That's the way you do it. And that's the way you brazen it out. And he's done that all his career um, and, and in real estate, and now he's doing it in politics. But I will say this. I don't think all is lost on this front, guys. I really don't. Uh, I do think, you know, the media, for all its flaws and shortcomings, does report these things. People do learn about these things, and, and they know what's going on, and they know who he is. They know his character. I know 47, 45% say they're going to vote for him. That's that's a different thing. But, you know, people do know his character and there are some heartening numbers out there. In the Washington Post University of Maryland poll last week, the Washington Post promoted the dire news that Republicans are more in his corner on January 6th than they were three years ago in the wake of the event. Uh, I understand why they led with that. I suppose that was the most newsworthy thing. But there were some results in that poll that were actually kind of reassuring. There was a question, uh, do you think Donald Trump is being persecuted to prevent him from running for president again, or do you think these prosecutions are legitimate? And it was 50, I believe, 7% that said the prosecutions are legitimate. And it was like 90-something among Democrats and very low among Republicans, but among independents who will decide this election. It was 58%, I believe, said legitimate prosecutions. So, you know, it's getting through. All is not lost. All is not lost. Having said that, and I appreciate David Korn's reference to my youth, which is apparent to all who listen to this show. Um, uh, you know, I am old enough to remember back when I came to Washington and I was in the Clinton administration, a couple of people did not get their jobs because they didn't pay their nanny taxes. Yeah. They didn't acknowledge <laughs> that they had nannies. Gary Hart stopped running for president because he said, hey, if you can find you know me you know with this girl, 
uh, you know, I will, you know, you know, drop out effectively. And that's what happened. Ed Muskie, this is before my time, David, before you say anything, you know, <laughs> had to drop out of a race because he cried. Howard Dean had to drop out of a race because he made a weird noise. Right. You know, Ed, Mus- Ed, Ed, Mus- Ed Muskie actually didn't even cry, right? It just looked like he cried right. because of snow. It, it just looked snowflake, like a snowflake got in his eye. Yeah, whatever it was. The point is, these were little tiny passing things. And this guy is a serial uh, criminal. And well, you know, you you, you 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 forgot to mention Barack Obama's tan suit. Yeah. And well. we forgot to mention, because we just simply don't have enough time, that Trump paid off a porn star, which right. is a case that's still going on, and that he aided and abetted a Russian attack on an American election. No, so no. I mean, it's oh, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, I, I, I call this the, 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 um, the tablecloth theory, which is if, you know, if I, I take you out to a nice dinner, David, and we get a bottle of red wine and you're, you know, pouring it and you spill it on the white tablecloth, I go, look how uncouth he is. And everyone notices and you feel embarrassed. It's awful. But if there are already 50, stains on the tablecloth or 300 nobody notices and they just have accepted the fact that if you go out to dinner with david it's going to be messy no and that if you go out to dinner with david it's going to be at a restaurant with dirty tablecloths um because i understand but that's like you know but michael alluded to this earlier there's just such a cavalcade of sleaze corruption indecency criminality betrayal lies from Trump that, you know, it's the fire hose of, of, of disinformation, a propaganda model that I think a lot of people just turn off to this. And it's kind of like baked into the cake. It's the DNA. And I remember um, it, when he first ran in 2015, talking to one of his key advisors at the time. And I said, what's the piece of oppo research that you worry most about? Is it that he's tied to the mob? is that he doesn't pay his bills, is that the stuff about women. And they said, we don't care about any of this. I go, what do you mean? They go, people decide whether they want to jerk for president or not. And it all falls under that heading. And well, we don't know. We will find out. And indeed, for that 45 47% that Michael just mentioned, we have found out. Yeah. Well, that's America, folks. F-A-F-O. Fuck around and find out. And that's what we've done. And, I, uh, you know, I think you put your finger on it, Mike, there earlier. Um, and I wish we had time to talk about, you know, this more. But, you know, we, I don't know, maybe I'll call this podcast Dumbing Treason Down, because that's where we are. You know, we've essentially devalued any crime, literally, except murder. Um, and, and, and by the way, well, I, maybe, I just want to point out maybe that any other president were responsible through his negligence, for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans during COVID, there would have been hearings and people would be in jail. And we accepted that, you know, from Mr. Put Bleach in Your Veins. Um, and, 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 you know, I don't know. We're not shouting loud enough. But fortunately, guys like you are, everybody should follow you. Follow David Korn. Follow Mike Tomaski. Follow Mother Jones. Follow the New Republic, uh, and of course, uh, follow us here at the DSR Network because there'll be more of this each and every week, uh, including starting in a couple of weeks. This new uh, show with 
TNR. Until then, thank you, David. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks. Bye-bye.